0: Well, this morning, if you have your copy of the Old Testament, I'll invite you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. You know that uh, this summer we are studying together the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, today will be my final message from it. But the pastors or the preachers that are going to preach over the next few weeks all have um, been given an assignment That I've shared with them from Ecclesiastes, they will continue the journey. And you know that the image that we painted is that uh, the Koholeth, as he's referred to in the scripture, that's his self designation, the preacher, the teacher. We've used the image that he's invited us on a tour. And we're on his bus, and he's the tour guide. And he is taking us down alleyways, through streets, into neighborhoods and he's showing us his understanding of reality. And, um, and so it's, it's an interesting journey that he's taken us on. He has a particular perspective. and You know, the, the underlying meaning of the book of Ecclesiastes, I believe, is what I've shared with you before and I'll share it with you again today. It is paradise lost. It is this writer's take on what could have been and what is. There are still these Edenic echoes, the Garden of Eden. You, You can still faintly hear it. It abounds, they abound in creation, but the fallen nature of creation drowns them out with what I would call discordant tones of brokenness. And this particular author is guiding us through a tour of some of these discordant tones of brokenness that he has experienced in his own life. So with that said, today's message comes from a text that's a little more optimistic. So I've entitled the message, Nothing Better. And the text is found on the second page of Ecclesiastes. So if you want to turn to page two with me, and we'll look at this text. We've made our way through this text already, at least up until here. And now we'll look at verse 17 of Ecclesiastes 2. We'll hear these words from Koheleth. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil in which I poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with with which they labor under the sun? All their days... Their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without him who can eat or find enjoyment, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases, God. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind, now if you'll turn to page three, just one little verse verse twenty two so I saw that there is nothing better for a person to enjoy than their their work than to enjoy their work because that is their lot for who can bring them to see what will happen after them well this morning i'll I'll begin our conversation with this statement: We live in the shadow of death, this writer, the Koholeth, he's taking us on this tour and it's almost like every time he takes us to a hopeful place and he sees something positive that just might be taking place, he turns back to the cemetery and says, oh, by the way, we all die. Cindy and I were talking about throughout walking the other day, we were talking about inviting people to church this summer, she said, yeah, great, we'll invite them and you'll get up there and say, yeah, you eat, you live and you die. Um, to which I said to her, I did not write the Bible. <clears throat> I'm just reading what the Koholeth has discovered. But the point is, he basically says, I'm going to do all this work and then I'm going to leave it to someone else. Someone else is going to take it. They didn't work for it. I did it. I'll die. They'll get it. It's meaningless. Death is so much a part of life. You know, there are a lot of people who have tried to wax eloquently about death. Y'all know that Ben Franklin is the one who said there are two certainties, death and taxes. Will Rogers said the only difference between death and taxes is that death doesn't get any worse every time Congress meets. <laughs> um, Groucho Marx said, I intend to, li- to live forever or die trying Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Um, one of my favorite philosophers is Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra said, always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. I have to think about that for a second. Sounds like a Dana Hamilton quote to me, actually. Dana, just looking at you. Um, George Carlin, I always get in trouble <laughs> quoting George Carlin, but I can't help it. Um, he says, I'm always relieved when someone is delivering a eulogy and I realize I'm listening to it. Um, and then David Gerald says, life is hard, then you die. Then they throw dirt in your face. Then the worms eat you. Be grateful it happens in that order. <laughs> um, well, you know, the Bible does have much to say about death, the Koholeth. He's just reminded of it on every hand. He, he can't help himself. He points you to this and says, this is something we might enjoy for a season, but it won't last. And it's like in every neighborhood we have visited so far, with him as the tour guide, we've had to stop by a cemetery to be confronted with the reality that this all ends at some point. I've, I've read through the commentary Zach Eswine has written on Ecclesiastes and it's called Recovering Eden. Let, let me read you his quote about this. He says, In some, death has pointed its headlights at us and started its engine. Therefore, we must learn from God how to enjoy what he's given to us, knowing that none of it can save or satisfy us. So it is with our spouses, our food, our work, and our place in the world. Neither of these can satisfy our souls or provide the gain that only God can give. Trying to use them as such will only disappoint us. That's really the point of the Koholeth this morning. The ultimate meaning in life is not going to be found in all of these things we enjoy on this earth, they've got to take their proper perspective. It's a deep connection with God that will bring something to you that nothing else will. We are created for deeper fulfillment than just to enjoy what's at our hand. And so you start there, experiencing that deeper fulfillment first. And so the good news is, as I've shared with you every Sunday, there is someone wiser than Solomon. So this morning, I want us to enter into a time of communion with that So I'm going to ask our ministers and our deacons to come and join me here and take their respective places as we prepare to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. As I said, that someone wiser than Solomon. The the Koholeth, think about it, he comes to grips with death. He does. He he talks about it. And um, he encounters it. He points it out all along the way. And for him, it represents the final Defeat. For humanity but I would point you to someone wiser than Solomon Jesus Jesus came to grips with death but actually Jesus died the most purposeful death in all of history when Jesus died he didn't just die he died for us the Bible says What that means theologically is that he died in our place because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. He died in our place. He also died on our behalf. It is through his death that we actually receive the gift of life. Jesus said one time, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. In other words, Jesus says, because of my life and my death, you now can experience life. And so this morning, as we prepare for these elements, I want to point you to greater fulfillment and ask you this question. Where are you looking for ultimate meaning? If you are looking for ultimate meaning, anywhere else besides Jesus you will continue to be sadly disappointed. Nothing else will fill that void in your life. But the good news is, you don't have to look anywhere else. You can look to Him. And so we'll gather around this table today. And it's here at this table that you and I are reminded that Jesus died for our sin. And so we're going to pass these elements here in just a moment. Our deacons will do that. And when the tray comes your way, you'll notice there's a s- two cups stacked one on top of the other. Some of you may not have done this with us before. So you just take one of those stacks of cups. It'll have bread and juice in it. If you need gluten-free bread, they're in every tray. They're in the middle of the tray. You can get one of those. And here in a moment, I will guide you through receiving these elements. But let's approach this table today humbly, realizing that as we receive these elements, we're reminded that Jesus has done something for you that no one or nothing else can do, and that is meet your deepest need. Praise his name. Let's pray together as we prepare our hearts today. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can gather together as your people, and we come around these tables, Lord, and we recognize that our need is great, or you wouldn't have sent your son. That our sin is pervasive, or you wouldn't have let him die. And so we wanna thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that we will find ourselves in your presence today in a very powerful and meaningful way. And that here in a moment when we receive these elements that we'll be mindful also of the fact that it's in Jesus we have found our greatest need met. So we pray your blessings on us and these elements in his name. Amen. As the trade passes your way, if you know the Lord, you don't have to be a member of our church. If you know the Lord, you're welcome to participate with us today. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. We call it 1 Corinthians and we're actually going to study this letter in the fall. And Paul says this, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread and when he'd given thanks he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood." Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All we'll get today is just a taste. That's all we'll get. That's all we're intended to get. It's just a taste. And yet it's a powerful reminder of what's been done on our behalf. This bread symbolizes for us the very body of our Lord. Take and eat. This fruit of the vine represents for us his very blood. Drink it in remembrance of him. So now it's our hope that we've all been reminded of how we have our deepest need met the ultimate question that has to be answered in our lives. And it is only discovered with a deep connection with God through Jesus. Once that happens, then all this other takes its proper place. All the things that have been designed for our enjoyment can truly be enjoyed appropriately, rather than us putting all of our stock in it. We put our relationship with the Lord first And then, guess what? Everything else takes on a different level of meaning and it finds its right place in my life and in yours. So, I would put it like this. It's the hand of God, the Koholeth says. The hand of God is the key to our hope in life. You go back and look at this text and just look at what he says in verse 24, chapter two. He says, a person can do nothing better. Eat, drink, enjoy. Work, find satisfaction in your life. As I said a moment ago, chapter three, verse 22, there's nothing better, he says, than to enjoy all of this that the Lord has provided. Look at chapter five in Ecclesiastes, verse 18. He says, this is what I've observed to be good. It's appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. This is their lot He says there's nothing better back in chapter two. And notice what he says about it. He says in verse 24, this is from the hand of God. So what has God provided for you? Here's what he's provided for you, an ordinary life. It's filled with all kinds of opportunities to experience joy and fulfillment. As long as you don't think it's supposed to give you ultimate joy and ultimate fulfillment. If you'll keep it in proper perspective, then you can enjoy it. You can eat and drink and commune and fellowship and work and engage in the joyful things that God puts in your life. But if you think all of that is going to meet what's deeply needed inside of you, that's where it always falls short. The deep connection to God first, then your ordinary life takes on new meaning. Again, I'll point you to a quote from Zach Eswine. He says, these creations, he's talking about food and drink and jobs and family and experiences, they're, they're God-given. They're, they possess divine purpose. A joy resides within them for our notice. This by his design, we're meant to taste these joys for which God's gifts were made. In other words, God has blessed you with this ordinary life. So here's my admonition for you this morning as I'm about to leave you for a month. I wanna challenge you, first of all, to make sure you have this deep connection with God in Jesus. But then secondly, here's my challenge. I wanna challenge you to find joy in the everyday. And you know why? Because that's where we live. We live in the everyday. Find joy in it. Some people have the hardest time finding joy in the everyday. Their joy, they believe, is, man, it's it's just around the bend. It's, it's just on the other side of that next hill. And, and you hear their conversations. They say things like this. Man, if I could just. Man, if, if this right here would just. And it's like there's just a wonderlust about them. that At every turn, it's, man, if, man, if this right here. And they miss out on the. Y'all know anybody like that? They miss out on the joy of what's already right here. It's not around the bend. It's not over the next hill. It's in your hand right now. I want to encourage you, find the joy in the everyday. I know it feels boring. I know. Do do y'all know that there's actually a conference every year called the Boring Conference? Do y'all know this? It's a real thing. It's been invented by a guy named James Ward. He has a blog called I Like Boring Things. Started in 2010. Speakers come, people gather, and they listen to messages about boring stuff. So, it's been going on now for about 12 years. Speakers have addressed topics like sneezing, toast, the sounds made by vending machines, barcodes, ice cream van music, how to cook meals with equipment found in hotels, similarities between 198 of the world's national anthems, electric hand dryers. I know it all sounds boring, but here's what's crazy. It's a sellout every year. Because here's what James Ward says. He says, the theme has to be boring, but the content can't be. There has to be something in the topic that a speaker with real enthusiasm can bring out and make it interesting. In fact, he says, most things, if you look at them in enough detail, can become fascinating. I realize ordinary everyday life can be boring, but there can be great meaning in it. Because as Dorothy Sayers says, life is so everlastingly daily. I want you to find joy in your ordinary life because it's the only one you have. And so you and I live in the everyday, in the ordinary. That's what Koholeth is saying. He's saying, you know, there's nothing better than to find joy in the everyday in the, in the small things of life that you've been given. Find joy in them. And quit looking for something around the bend. You know, just everyday ordinary people can experience joy. And that's the way God's designed it. God's designed all of us to just, to have a role to play. I don't know if you're familiar with Concordia College or not. But it's, a, it's in Moorhead, Minnesota. It lies right across the state line of, from Fargo, North Dakota. That part of our country can be very bleak in the winter. But one highlight every year for the last 93 years, Concordia College has a Christmas choral concert, and people come from all over that region to it. And here's what's fascinating here's what they used to do an artist prepares the background for the concert, it is two basketball courts wide, it's huge. And here's how they used to do it. Once the artist decided how he, could, he or she could depict what was going to be presented by the choir, then everybody in the community, no matter who they were, grocery store owners, mechanics, custodians, um, attorneys, doctors, whoever they were, you were allowed to come and they had the, the entire mosaic and mural was broken up into small tiles and you were given instructions on how to paint by number. And so everybody in the community would come and they would just have this thing set up and they would paint their part. And then when the time for the concert occurred, it was unveiled and you saw the entire mosaic. And the people would say things like say things like this. See all that green tile underneath the camel's foot? I did that. I think it brings the whole thing together, don't you? Um, what was the point? The point was, we're all in this together. Well, now it's been digitized. And the mural now can be produced on a computer, but guess what? They still need the community to come and actually take this wallpaper that they install by tiles, by sections. So now what they're doing is average, everyday, ordinary people come for about a month, and they take all this time to assemble this mural that stands behind this choir. They no longer paint it, but they assemble it, and they all put their hands on it, and they come and enjoy it because that's really what's going on. See, when you're living your life, come on, y'all. When you're living your life, You're actually painting this this little piece of a mosaic that God himself has crafted. And your piece is going to play a role in making the overall thing beautiful. And you do that in your everyday ordinary life. Just Monday through Friday. That's when you do it. That's where we live. That's where we find our joy is in the everyday. Jesus came to redeem this world. And guess what he came to? An ordinary life. He was born in a stable. He got a job in a carpenter's shop making stuff to sell to other people, just like every other young man his age in his village. He had a craft. He went to banquets. He he went to weddings. He went to funerals. He had meals with people. Jesus experienced life in the everyday because he came to redeem it all, And so, think about it. Even when he was resurrected from the dead and the disciples saw him on the shore of the lake, what did he do? He invited them to breakfast. Just an ordinary, everyday thing. That's how it worked. Jesus redeemed it all through the ordinary. So I want to encourage you today. Find joy in the ordinary. You know, um, one of my favorite movies every year that I watch is It's a Wonderful Life. Y'all know that movie? George Bailey. Y'all remember George Bailey? Jimmy Stewart plays George Bailey. George Bailey told his daddy, he said, I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in this shabby little office. He says, I'm going to do something big. I'm going to do something important. And he just can't see that that could happen in Bedford Falls. Y'all remember this story? And guess what happens? He gets paid a visit by an extraterrestrial, Clarence. Y'all remember? And before that whole thing is over, guess what happens to George Bailey? He sees great joy in an old broken staircase staircase rail. He sees great joy in just having friends and and being a part of a family and living in a community and making a small contribution. Here's what he discovers. It's not just a wonderful life. It's an ordinary life. Well, that ordinary life is where you find the wonder of it all. So I want to encourage you this morning. Make the deep connection first. Then, live your ordinary life and experience the beauty of it and the joy of it. You know, when I think back about my life, the people that have shaped me, that have influenced me. More often than not, they've just been ordinary people. You know, one, of the, one person who's had probably one of the most shaping influences in my life is my mama. And you know, my mama was an ordinary woman. My mama's with the Lord now, but you know, my mama had no dreams about changing the world. My my mama didn't want to go anywhere. She didn't want to invent anything. She didn't want to be known necessarily. My mama wanted to be a good Christian. She wanted to be a good wife, and she wanted to be a good mama. And you know what, y'all? She was. And she touched the lives of people who were in her little world, And those people in her little world have done some extraordinary, incredible things. But all of us were shaped by a common, just ordinary, everyday person who taught me to enjoy life in the everyday. I hope you've discovered that. So that's my prayer for you. I would say to you, go. Find joy in the everyday. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, today we... We bow in your presence, Lord, with gratitude, thanksgiving, that we can find joy in our everyday lives, particularly since that's where we live. (laughs) And you've designed us for it. You've designed us for the everyday, and you've put things around us that are opportunities for joy. And so I pray that today, Lord, those that have a certain wonderlust, first of all, that they will make sure they have found that deep need met first. And that you'll draw people to Jesus. And then, Lord, those of us who know him, I pray that you'll bring everything else into relief. And that those small, everyday things will take on new meaning. And we will see them as your hand in our lives. That it's really the hand of God that has made it available for me to enjoy time with family, a shared meal, a conversation at the grocery store, whatever it may be that it's in those moments that my life is actually enriched and shaped and I play a role in the lives of others. So send us forth today, Lord, with a a renewed joy for the ordinary every day. We pray that in Jesus' name.